Family Life series, I want to give a couple of messages to the subject of child rearing. It's an important subject, and even if you're past that phase of life or never have been in that phase of life or haven't yet come into that phase of life, uh, there are many who are in the trenches, and I think it's an important subject, and also it's one that all of us can use if you're uh, teaching Sunday school, you're a school teacher, you're involved in children's work or ministry at all, uh, it will, I hope, be relevant to you. So, as a text, I want us to read from Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, and then also Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Um, in the series on Ephesians, I did an entire message on Ephesians 6, 4, talking about ways that we do tend to provoke our children to wrath and should not, and I'm not going to go there today, but just use this verse as a backdrop for the message. And there are printed uh, outlines in your bulletin. You should also have in your bulletin a thing I did on biblical character qualities and life skills. And on the flip side of that are some passages for parents to hopefully memorize, keep in mind. And um, <clears throat> I put both of those on the church website as well. And all of the outlines, or I mean messages, and um, printed and audio are on the church website. Paul writes, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then back in chapter 5 and verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. When Arthur Gordon, a writer, was 13 and his brother was 10, their father had promised to take them to the circus one afternoon. And he came home for lunch and there was a phone call from his work. There was an urgent matter back at work that uh, required his attention. And so the two boys braced themselves for disappointment. But then they heard their father say, no, I won't be there. It will have to wait. His wife, when he came back to the table, smiled and said, uh, you know, the circus keeps coming back. And her wise husband said, I know, but childhood doesn't. And, uh, you know, as a father of three grown children and grandfather so far of 13, uh, I can testify that childhood goes by quickly and you have to take advantage of the opportunities you have with your kids uh, don't get distracted with stuff that may seem pressing when the most pressing thing really when you have children in the home is seeing those children grow up in the uh, discipline and instruction of the Lord. So I want to today just give a, a one-sentence principle 
that I think will help you to do that, to nurture your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And as I said, the message is aimed at families with children at home, but it's certainly more important than that because our children are the future of our church and they're the future of our nation. I don't know if you've seen that funny video, the millennial song, where uh, in the last verse he mentions one day soon a millennial will be our president. And then he gets a panic-stricken look on his face and says, pray for millennials. Uh, But yes, that's true. And so the subject is important for all of us, no matter where we're at. And I hope that even if you don't have children, um, you're working with some of them in some way, or even if you just encounter children here in the church, that this message will guide you in how to show them the love of Christ. And um, if you are older, that you will maybe take a young family under wing and mentor them in the Lord and give them some of the wisdom you've gained over the years from raising your own children. Now I'm going to begin with a presupposition that underlies this message, and I think it's one that all of you would check off and say, yep, I agree with that in principle, but I have a hunch that many of you don't agree with it in your practice. And the principle is this, scripture is sufficient to equip us as good parents. I believe scripture is sufficient to equip us as good parents because Paul says all scripture is adequate to prepare us for every good work and certainly being good parents is a good work and so I think that statement holds up but when you read through the Bible it may seem at first glance like there's not a whole lot of specific techniques given in the Bible for how to raise children um, you read Ephesians 6 4 and in the New American Standard Bible Paul gives a total of 20 words, count them, there's 20 words, on how to rear your children. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's it. That's all he says. But I think we err if we think that we have to have all the latest techniques to rear our children in the Lord. You know, we got Christian books coming out our ears and seminars and everything on all these techniques on how to rear your children, and some of that is fine and helpful, but true godliness and the wisdom that's found in God's Word is the key to rearing our children. And uh, the Bible, as you know, is a book about relationships. It tells us how to love God how to love one another, the two great commandments. And so I'm going to encourage you this morning to reject a lot of the so-called wisdom that's flooded into the church in recent years through um, so-called Christian psychology. I, I think that most Christian parents now look to psychologists as the experts on how to rear your children. 
And the problem is a lot of these experts, I think, have flooded the church with worldly nonsense such as the key to rearing your children is to build their self-esteem. The Bible, on the contrary, says that's the problem. Your child has innate self-esteem. We all do. It's called pride. We think we're first. We think we're best. And the goal of child-rearing is not to build that, but rather to bring your children to trust in the Lord, not in themselves. And so I want you to challenge that, challenge the books you read. I'm not saying don't read them, but compare everything with Scripture. Be a Berean and do that even with this message. Now, what I'm going to do today is give you one sentence that I hope you can remember that tells you everything you need to know about childbearing. One sentence. And then I'm going to discuss some goals and some ways to achieve those goals as parents. But here's child-rearing made simple. One sentence. As our Heavenly Father relates to us as His children, so we should relate to our children. I think that's it. God is called a father in the Bible for a reason. And we are called His children. And as the Father who is perfect, relates to his imperfect children. So we who are imperfect are to strive to relate to our imperfect children. Ephesians 5.1 is clear. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And of course, our Heavenly Father has a goal in child rearing, and that's given to us in Romans 8.29 and 30, and that is, to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. And so that should be our goal for our children. And his word tells us how to do that. It gives us the two great commandments. It boils all the commandments of the Bible down to those two. Love God, love others. So that's how we do it. So first of all, let me look at our overall goal. And that is that our children may grow in love for God and love for others as they grow also in joyful submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, as parents, we need to stay focused on our our goal. That's our goal, that our kids would love God with all their hearts, that they would love others, and that every day they would learn to bring every thought, every word, every deed in submission to the Lordship of Christ And you got 18 years, basically, to pull that off. And then they're out. So that's the goal. Now, several components of that goal. First of all, of course, is basic. Seek to bring your children to genuine conversion to Jesus Christ. Uh, Without that, everything else is just going to fail at some point. That's foundational. Now, a lot of Christian parents, though, are mistaken on this. They, they think, well, my child prayed a prayer. He made a decision to invite Jesus into his heart. And since we're once saved, always saved, my child is saved forever. There's a fallacy, though, in that. First of all, the lingo about inviting Jesus into your heart is not really salvation talk in the New Testament. It comes out of Revelation 3.20, and it's written to a church, not 
to unbelievers. There may have been unbelievers in that church, but it's an invitation to a church to invite Christ in for fellowship. Uh, Our goal is to have our kids trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And that's a bit different than inviting Jesus into your heart. And the crucial question in all of that is, well, was your child truly saved when he prayed that prayer? It's not like a lever you pull and all the goodies of salvation come down. Uh, A lot of people make decisions for Christ, but the issue is this. Did God change their heart? If you're born again, you have a new heart. You have new desires. God changes you. Something happens from the Holy Spirit inside, and, you know, your heart is different. Well, how can you tell? Well, Jesus said it's pretty easy to tell a tree by its fruit. Good tree bears good fruit. Bad tree bears bad fruit. So if your child is truly born again, you're going to see some fruit of conversion in his or her life. Uh, he's he's going to have a hunger for God's Word. He, he's going to be uh, sensitive in his conscience and and be repentant when he sins. He's going to have a desire to please God. He's going to have a desire to grow in love for others. He's going to be warm to the things of God. I mean, we all know when we have a baby, whether it's alive or not. And a live baby, yeah, they poop their diapers and they spit up all over your clean clothes and do all kinds of nasty things, but they're alive, and you know it, and they're going to grow. And so the same with a a babe in Christ. Yeah, they do a lot of bad things, but they're alive and they're growing. That's the issue. They're born again. So bring your child to genuine conversion to Christ. Then secondly, help your children to grow in godliness and that's a lifelong process but your goal is to get your kids to have a godward focus in their lives that they are accountable primarily to god and not to you because if you just have them accountable to you and they're out of your sight well guess what they can do what they want but if they have a sense god is present everywhere and I am accountable to God, then that's what you want. And they have to learn that disobedience and sin displeases God, and they need to learn that they need to try to please God with every thought, every word, every deed that they do. And as soon as they're old enough, help them to understand how to have a time alone with God in the Bible every day. They have to be able to read by that point. And I would advise you not to enforce that with a rule. It's got to come from the heart, be their desire. But um, you want them to get into Scripture. You can help them to memorize Scripture, make it a game from an early age. Uh, Help them to evaluate various activities. Can I go to this movie or do this or that? Well, would that please God? Would you feel comfortable having Jesus with you in that? If not, you might not want to do that. Uh, and so you're, you're trying to get this Godward focus in, in their life. Um, part of growing in godliness 
is developing godly character qualities, and that's what this handout in your bulletin is all about. And you can use that not only with your kids, but with yourself as a tool to say, whoops, I'm not doing this one very well. I need to improve there. But Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 10 says that God disciplines or trains us so that we might share his holiness. And so that's your objective as a parent, is to train your children to be holy. And, um, you know, that means teaching them various things. The fruit of the Spirit is a good verse to memorize. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Uh, teach them about God's standards for moral purity, uh, about dressing modestly as girls get older, not like the world dresses. Uh, teach them how to, to experience trials with joy and thanksgiving uh, and how to have a servant attitude instead of a selfish attitude. And attitudes are important because God looks on the heart. So uh, you want them to develop that thankful attitude and heart even when things don't go well. Um, as Christians, I think we need to take the doctrine of the fall seriously. And that means our children are born with the sin nature. That's how we're all born. And by nature, they're self-centered and proud. And I believe that every parent should commend and encourage your child when they do well. Give them plenty of encouragement. Just keep it on. But at the same time, as I said, this whole notion of self-esteem comes into the church from the world. It's not in the Bible. And uh, I first got alerted to that just reading some of the old guys that wrote way before modern psychology, and they all condemn self-love. Calvin and Spurgeon and, and J.C. Ryle and all of those great old authors just condemn self-love. And I began to go, whoa, wait a minute, maybe something isn't right here today in that. And another thing I hear all the time, even from Christian, like an athlete who's done well and he's a Christian, and they interview him, and he says, well, you just need to believe in yourself. I go, really? Where does the Bible teach that you need to trust in yourself? It talks consistently about not trusting in yourself and trusting in the Lord and giving him the glory when he accomplishes something through you. So, again... Uh, we need to teach our kids to grow in humility and servanthood and, um, and also teach them to submit to proper authority. We're all rebels by nature and we don't like authority, but God gives authority for our good, and so that's part of it. So first, lead your children then to genuine conversion in Christ, which is evidenced by ongoing repentance. Secondly, help them to grow in godliness. Thirdly, Help your children to cultivate godly relationships. Uh, the second great commandment, loving our neighbor as ourself, begins in the home. And our children need to understand what biblical love is as opposed to worldly love. They need to understand what I talked about last week, that is how to resolve conflicts God's way, uh, deal with conflict. Uh, they need to learn how to speak in a manner that's going to build up their brothers and sisters, not tear them down or ridicule them or make fun of them. 
They need to learn how to be discerning and choosing good friends who will help them to grow in the Lord and not friends who will drag them into the world. Uh, eventually, they need to learn how to evangelize and how to disciple their friends or their ones that they've seen come to Christ, how to encourage other kids in the Lord. And much of what I've been saying about growing in godliness and relationships, they're going to learn as they watch how you and your mate relate to one another, as they see mom and dad resolving conflicts in a godly manner. They see mom and dad loving others, denying themselves, caring more about others. All of that, those lessons sink deep into a child's heart, and they are going to then be motivated to go and do the same. Um, a fourth quality that's needed then is to train your children in life's responsibilities. And your children need certain skills to be able to function as adults. And I put some of those on that sheet on uh, biblical character qualities and life skills. Um, for example, they need to understand domestic duties, basic cooking. And I would argue guys need to learn that because you're going to be single for a while, guys, and TV dinners are pretty gross. So, you know, learn how to do basic cooking, cleaning, uh, doing laundry, shopping, those kind of skills, proper hygiene through nutrition and rest and exercise and all of that. Eventually, they need to learn how to drive a car and maintain a car. I'm not saying they need to learn how to change the oil, but they do need to know the oil does need to be changed every so often and maintain that vehicle in a way that it's not going to break down. Um, they need to learn to take care of the possessions that God has given them and, I would add, to respect others' property. I remember in California once, I was horrified. I was at a youth event in our church that was being held in someone's home and I watched a high school kid step on the couch and step over the couch to get instead of walk around it. And I just stood there dumbfounded saying, this isn't his home. You don't step on your own couch at home, let alone in someone else's couch to get over the couch. Uh, the parents were failing that child. They need to learn to respect property and uh, treat that property well. They need to learn the biblical truth that we are not owners of what we have. We are managers, stewards of all that God entrusts to us. And so they need to learn basic financial principles on how to manage the money God entrusts to them. And that would include how to earn money, uh, teach them how to get a, a job, how to be good workers on the job, budgeting, spending, uh, eventually um, investing, giving. They need to learn about checking accounts or how those work or online banking these days, all of those things. Uh, another key component of functioning is how to manage your time. Uh, you know, set goals for yourself and do your work first and then balance work and leisure. So those are our goals under the overall goal of helping 
our kids love God and others as they grow in submission to the Lordship of Christ. And if you're thinking as I am right now, you're going, wow, this is kind of overwhelming. I mean, there is just a lot of stuff involved in this task. And so how do we do it? Well, I can't say everything here this morning, but let me give you a few biblical principles. The overall principle, as I stated, is as the Heavenly Father relates to us as His children, so we must relate to our children. And that is biblical child-rearing in one sentence. Does God love us in spite of our many failures? Answer, yes, of course. Thankfully, He does. All right, I am to love my children then. Uh, and not withdraw love as a means of punishment. Is God gracious to us? Oh, thank God, yes. If he were not, if you, O Lord, should count iniquities, who should stand? Uh, I am to be gracious to my children. Does God patiently correct us when we're wrong? Again, yes, thankfully, uh, that we should do for our children. Now, let me just emphasize a few things here, and I want to give you some uh, good news and then some bad news. Uh, the good news on this first principle is your example is the primary means for training your children. The bad news is your example is the primary means for training your children. Your children are going to learn far more by your life than by your lectures, especially if your lectures don't match your life. I'm not saying we don't teach our kids verbally. We do. But, boy, they learn far more by your example. Now, God, of course, is our example, as we saw in Ephesians 5.1, and especially the Lord Jesus Christ, who did not regard uh, his glory in heaven something to hang on to selfishly, but came and took on the form of a servant and died on the cross in our place to bear our sins. But you're either a good or a not-so-good example to your kids of what it means to love God and to love others. And if they see you loving God with all your heart and they see you loving God's Word and using it to guide your life, they're more likely to catch a love for God uh, than if they don't. I believe, too, it's really important, and fathers, you need to set the example here, set an atmosphere of joy in the Lord in your home. That the Christian life is not a negative thing, a bearing up under all these rules and regulations and duties and all of that, but it's a life of genuine joy in Christ who has forgiven all our sins. And even when trials come, your kids are going to read you loud and clear. Are you grumbling and complaining? Or are you saying, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to trust you. We want to have that kind of joy in our home. And... Uh, your kids are going to watch you, especially when problems hit. How do mom and dad respond? Are you just coming before the Lord, maybe through tears, even thanking him? 
or are you grumbling like Israel did in the wilderness? Not only have, do you have to model loving God and then loving or having joy in, in the home, but also loving others. And to be honest, loving others is sometimes more difficult than loving God. You know? We can love God whom we've not seen, but then we got this difficult person in our lives whom we have seen, and that's where the rubber meets the road. And especially, especially if your kids see you with consistent, faithful love toward your mate, that comes through to them. They're going to see that in you. They say, wow, what about I'm divorced and uh, it was a nasty situation. Well, don't dump on your mate in front of your kids. I know you may have to carefully distance yourself from your ex-mate, your ex's uh, behavior, if it was drug abuse or alcohol abuse or physical abuse or so on. But you don't want to be bitter toward your ex in front of your kids or you're going to contaminate your kids. Bitterness is not a healthy, godly quality. And they just need to see you living the Christian life every day. You say, well, I fail a lot. Well, we all do. The issue is, what do you do when you fail? Do you humble yourself before your kids and go back and say, you know, I'm really sorry the way I yelled at you this morning. I, I was wrong to do that, and I've asked God to forgive me, and I want to ask, will you forgive me? You see, that's living the Christian life. On the other hand, if you yell at them, and then you put on your Christian face and come to church and put on a pious act, your kids can see that. They smell hypocrisy. And they're going, yeah, that's all phony. It doesn't work. But if you model for them genuine brokenness in the Lord, humility, boy, they, they know there's reality there. Dad is a sinner, but Dad is growing in Christ. And I can do the same. So you, you model reality in Christ by your example. That's the main thing. Second principle here is that grace and love should be the defining characteristics of your life. You know, you, if we're going to relate to our kids as God relates to us, you have to go back and ask, well, how does God relate to us? And there's a significant passage of Scripture in Exodus chapter 34 where Moses says, God, show me your face. And God says, I can't do that, Moses. You'd be consumed. But I'm going to give you a little glimpse. I'm going to give you a little glimpse. And here's what God says. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious. Oh, thank God. That's the first thing he says. Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Wow. There's something to latch onto right there, isn't there? That's who our God reveals himself, one of the very first, most significant revelations of himself in Scripture. Now, you got to keep reading who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. I think it means the unrepentant guilty. 
visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. So on the one hand, God is gracious, he is merciful, he is forgiving, he is loving. On the other hand, if someone is defiant and remains in their sin, then God punishes sin sometimes severely. But toward his children, his mode is compassion, tender love, abundant goodness. I love Psalm 103, verse 13. It says, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. That's our God, a God of compassion, kindness, love. Now, what that means negatively is there is never, ever any place in child-rearing for any form of child abuse. It is so horrendous that sometimes Christian homes are marked by child abuse. You should never abuse your children verbally. I remember when we first had kids, I told Marla, I said, I never want either of us to call our kids some derogatory name. We want to build them up with our words. We want to show them the love of Christ. And so there shouldn't be any name calling. There shouldn't be any curses. You shouldn't threaten them with some sort of harm to them. There should never be any physical abuse. And that means hitting a child to vent your anger. Um, and never, never, ever any sexual abuse in a Christian home. That is simply a violation of who God is toward us. Positively, your demonstrated love for your child is the foundation for disciplining them. They should know, they should feel, and I use that word deliberately, your love, your tender heart for them. Uh, because it says in Proverbs 3.12, Whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. Don't miss the last word there. A father delights in his children. And you know, your kids can tell if you delight in them or if they're a bother. You show it by your eyes. You smile when you see them. You, you show it by your words. You're kind and loving toward them. You show it by listening to them when they talk. Uh, you, you show it by welcoming them into your presence. It's great to see you. How you doing? That kind of thing. You show by appropriate physical affection. You know, proper touch and love to them. And you want them to know they aren't a bother. They aren't an interruption to your schedule. You, you love them. You care about them. And if you haven't taken the time to play with your children and to read with your children and spend time listening to and talking with your children, you aren't in a position to discipline them. Love for them is the foundation Discipline comes when they know dad loves me, mom loves me. That's the, the foundation. 
A third thing, teach your children to respect you from their youngest age through proper correction and discipline. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And that word fear means a healthy respect for the Lord. And so you want your children to respect you because without proper respect for God, you don't have a relationship with him. And God has ordained authority, and in the home, he has directed children to obey their parents in the Lord. And respect comes through loving discipline. Hebrews 12.9 says, We had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Now, several things to mention about proper discipline. First of all, teach your children to obey your word, and the sooner you start, the better. They can learn to obey when they're toddlers, still in diapers. That's when you start with them. And you deal with behavior at that point. That's all they understand as they get older. Of course, you talk to them. And you deal with their attitudes since God demands that we have a proper attitude. But don't let them disrespect your authority by hitting you, sassing you, that kind of thing. They need to learn early on, no, I am the authority. You are to submit to me. Secondly, Your child's good and not your selfishness or your anger have to be the basis for your correction. So if you're just venting your anger by yelling at your child or swatting them or whatever, you're sinning. That's the wrong way to discipline or correct your child. Uh, Your discipline has to do as God's discipline does. Hebrews 12.10, God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. And so biblical love and not your embarrassment when they disobey in public, your frustration that they've just pushed you over the limit, or your need to control your child, those aren't the basis. The basis is, I want this child to be like Jesus, and their behavior was not Christ-like, so I need to correct that behavior. May I say, too, don't take their disobedience personally. Uh, A lot of times our image of ourselves gets tied up with our kids and we want them to look like good Christians, especially at church, you know, or in public. And so when they disobey, we get embarrassed or whatever, or we take it personally. Listen, here's news. Your kids are sinners and they're going to act like sinners, as we all do, and they need training. And God puts you in the middle to be the conduit for training your child to be like Jesus, and you have a short time to do it, but you'll thwart that process if you take their disobedience personally. You just have to move in in an objective manner and say, all right, my three-year-old is throwing a tantrum. Uh, How does Christ want me to deal with this? I need to show them Christ, but I need to teach them that's not how you deal with your frustration. And so they need loving correction. The third thing about discipline is do it consistently. You know, let's be honest. Disciplining your kids is a hassle, always. It's a bother. It takes, you have to interrupt what you're doing and correct them, and it's frustrating, you know? You'd rather be doing what you're doing, and now you've got to deal with them. And so a lot of parents don't discipline their kids consistently, and as a result, 
one day the kid gets away with murder, and the next day the parent has had it up to here, and they just unload on him for some minor infraction, and the kid doesn't know up from down. So there has to be this consistency. Never threaten anything out of proportion to the offense. You know, sometimes when you're angry, you know, you do that again, you know, and you, you give some threat, and you can't carry through on that. And your kid knows that. They're smart. And they know, yeah, yeah, that was just an empty threat. And so they learn they can't trust your word. And they don't have that consistency. But the fact is, God carries out his word. Whatever you reap or sow, that you will reap. And parents need to be consistent and carry out their word faithfully. But don't yell at your kid with some threat unless they're in danger physically. <laughs> and they need to get out of the way. Um, or maybe you can't get their attention without yelling, but then you calm down and you talk to them and you correct them for their good. Fourthly, distinguish between immaturity and defiance. You know, if a three-year-old is acting three, you may need to teach him how to grow up, but you have to take into account he's being a three-year-old. That's how they act. If he's being a defiant three-year-old, he's crossed the line. And you know the difference when they defy you. And when that happens, the first thing, you, you take, set them down, you warn them patiently, and you say, if you do that again, there's going to be this consequence. And then you follow through. And uh, I think that's the time with little children especially, uh, you apply the paddle in Proverbs language, the rod, and you don't spank when you're out of control in your anger, but that's what children understand at that age is there's going to be pain involved if I defy my parents again. And I don't want to do that. Um, now, I, I've seen Christians go overboard on the spare the rod and spoil the child passages. There was a popular pamphlet or booklet out a few years ago by this Christian couple advocating that if your child doesn't obey instantly, you apply the paddle. And that applied to even teenagers in their book. And a lot of parents were following this thing, and I just thought, that's horrendous. That's not how God relates to me. If he did, I'd be bruised all the time. God is gracious. God is kind. God is patient. God pleads with me. God's word corrects me gently. Uh, I am to do that as a parent. And so the main way of correcting your child is loving verbal correction, especially as they grow older. Reason with them. Yes, there should be some consequence if they continue to disobey, but always in proportion to the wrongdoing. And... Um, with a young child, yeah, saying no and then maybe spanking their hand or, or paddling their behind is, is going to get their attention. But as they grow up, that should grow less and less. And the more you're going to spend talking, reasoning together with them about their behavior. Um, now, the key is to do this when they're young. I've seen Christian parents who watch their toddler disobey all over the place, and they think, oh, they're so cute, you know, let them run wild, 
And then as the kid gets a little older, panic sets in, and they start slapping on the rules, and that's totally backwards. When they're young, they ought to live in a benevolent police state. You know, there should be rules that they know, if I violate that rule, I'm in big trouble. And then as they grow to be teenagers, you relax. You feed them more responsibility. You, you see them on their own more. They're trusting Christ. They're walking with him. And you relax the rules until finally they're out from under your authority and they're living under the authority of Christ. So that's the way you do it. So first of all, your example is primary. Secondly, grace and love are the defining uh, characteristics of child rearing. Third, you teach them to respect you through correction and proper discipline. Fourth, respect your children as unique human beings. Um, again, I think many Christian parents try to force their kids into a mold. You want them to succeed, and you want them to maybe do this or that so that you'll look good. Uh, now, again, we should encourage our children how to work heartily as unto the Lord, how they can be all that God's gifted them to be, but God wired them uniquely. They aren't a blank slate. He's given them gifts. He has made them who they are, and you should encourage them to be who they are. And So what I'm saying is this. If your child grows up to be a godly garbage truck driver, that is far, far better than if he or she grows up to be a successful worldly, godless doctor. See, it's not that. It's godliness that you want. Wherever God directs them, praise God if they're walking with him. That's the goal. And they belong to God, not to you. And he's given you just a short time to train them, and you can't hang on to them. You know, in Prov I mean, in Psalm 127, verse 4, it says, Children are arrows. What do you do with arrows? You don't collect them. You shoot them at the enemy. You let them go. And so you got just a few years to get your kids ready, and then you release them and pray that they will follow the Lord all the days of their lives. And uh, so that's how you do it. You, you respect them as unique, and your goal is release them. And by the way, your children are all different, so don't treat them all the same. I've heard Christian parents say, well, we treated this rebel the same as that child. Well, why? He was a rebel. That one wasn't. You treat them differently because they are unique in the Lord. And then finally, major on the majors. Uh, minimize the rules, maximize the major. Loving God, loving others. That's the goal. And don't get hung up with petty and legalistic kind of things. Your main goal, again, is to get your child so that he or she lives daily under the lordship of Jesus and that they're seeking to please him. And I've seen well-meaning Christian parents who get all worried and bothered about the latest fad and slap rules on their teenager and the kid rebels. Um, you know, and now if your son is running with the wrong crowd, that's major because that's going to influence him wrongly. Or if your daughter is dressing in a seductive, uh, immodest manner, that's major because she's inviting immorality into her life. But if it's just some quirky fad, you know, that everybody in that age group is doing, 
try and bear with it and focus on the major thing. And that is, I want them to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I want them to love others as, as they love themselves. And that's the big thing. I read about a grandson who was visiting his grandmother, and he said, Grandma, do you know how you and God are alike? And she was kind of mentally polishing her halo when she said, uh, No, how are we alike? And he said, You're both old. <laughs> well, I hope that we're more than just old when we get to be grandparents, that we do display a little bit of godliness to our grandchildren and children, but just remember the principle. If you're in the trenches with raising kids right now, as your heavenly father relates to you, so you, as a parent, are to relate to your children. And if you say, you know, that's impossible, you're absolutely right. We will never measure up perfectly, and thank God for his abundant grace. If you're a parent and you're going, man, I have botched it, I've failed miserably, well, prayer is an option still. Even if they're out of the nest, pray, pray, pray for your children. Um, Paul Miller, in his book, A Praying Life, which is one of the best books I've read on prayer, he makes an interesting observation. He says, it is surprising how seldom Books on parenting talk about prayer. And you know, being a parent should make you a prayer. Um, every day, just praying for your kids. And so, that has to be infused in the process. But my prayer for all of you who are rearing children is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To him be glory in the church, and I might add, to him be glory in your family and in Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen.